Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from Ten, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty McKeon. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Chris Lester, the creator and head author of the Metamore City podcast at www.metamorcity.com. You may also recognize me as the voice of the late and, as yet, unlamented Jeremiah Evans. You're listening to episode 20 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. Although a little death in the morning isn't necessarily a bad thing, our intrepid polyamorous artist's enclave hasn't yet discovered the grisly secret lurking in the upper bedrooms. As day six wears on, other activities are underway. Chapter 20 E-4 Afternoon It's a ritual for you, isn't it? Liturgical. Can you think of a better way to spend a Sunday, Sherry? Gerd opened the case on the coffee table, the burnt, smoky orange shining in the light of the lamps and the fire. He wouldn't have admitted publicly to having named his violin, but he'd played with her long enough to know she wanted to be treated like a proper French lady. Today, Lady Giselle needed him, not to help her sing, but to help her voice. Every Sunday, he pulled her from her case and used a wine cork to polish her up, stroking lightly to remove all the rosin dust from her, making sure she stayed ageless, even as the years slipped by him. She wouldn't be singing today, or at least not right now. Gerd finished his work with her and put her back to bed, savoring the memory of his fingers on her body. The music of the day was rock and roll. In the solarium, Kevin mixed paints with a mortar and pestle, while Sarah, dressed as a Victorian-era grease monkey mechanic from across the gender divide, clambered over Adele's scaffolding, hanging lights for the day's activity. Each one of them was going under the brush and before the camera, indulging Kevin and Adele's folie à deux. Carol was the first victim, standing under the hot lights with her hair pinned up, holding the prongs of the weight bench for support. Kevin knelt behind her, his brushes tracing the texture of the apple over her ribondi, its outline already moving up the tree growing out of its stem at her tailbone, leaving her serpentine tattoo to rest on it. The paint took over an hour going on, during which time Gerd wandered in and out, checking on Kevin's progress and occasionally fetching water for Carol before he tired of being on his feet and sat down on the couch with a book, Sagan's Contact. Not exactly the height of great literature, but good escapism with a little more depth than he'd been free to indulge in during last semester's political thunderstorm. Katie tired of playing the spectator after a time. She retired to the conversation pit, sitting on a floor pillow next to the coffee table and working her sculpture with her knife, absorbed in her own world. 
Gerd was glad of the company, even though he wasn't entirely alone. Sarah whirled through the room periodically, a one-woman cyclone moving with the music, flopping down on his lap for a kiss and cuddle and brief conversation before catching a new tune in the room and running off to play with it. Throughout the afternoon, the one thing that kept pulling Gerd's attention back to the solarium was Amos. The man sat in a corner and watched, but not as one might expect a man to watch the woman he loves. His eyes were clouded with trouble and suspicion, and every time Gerd looked, his hands always seemed busy, rolling one or another of Kevin's paint tubes between them, as if they portended a greater mystery. Something in his manner made Gerd profoundly uncomfortable. It was the same note of discomfort he'd felt in the presence of the Stasi officials when he'd visited his wife's relatives in East Berlin in the months before the wall fell. He eventually managed to shake off the feeling and slide back into his book until his number was called. He was Kevin's next subject after Carol, so he obligingly set his book down, doffed his robe, and took his place under the lights. Adele's photographs of Carol in the body paint were little short of exquisite. Against the blinding white backdrop, they showed the tableau of Eden painted on her flesh framed by a green silk scarf, shimmering as it wound its way around Carol's outstretched arms like a vine of ivy round a long, disused crucifix. Then a second set where the scarf framed the apple on her hips and flowed down to the ground behind her like a liquid bridal train. Gerd viewed them on the monitor of Adele's digital Hasselblad while Kevin started painting his back. In front of him... Carol stood in a rubber-made tub while Amos scrubbed her clean. They didn't talk about anything important, instead flirting and tickling and exchanging small, reassuring touches. But watching them brought back to Gerd's mind the image of the Stasi. When each knew the other wasn't looking, something else crossed their faces. The look of a caged animal, eyes darting here and there, stealing sly, fearful glances at the other. Gerd shivered only finding relief when Amos left the room and Carol retired to the weight bench to visit with Adele. Okay, buddy. Kevin patted Garrett on his hip where he was still unpainted. Turn around. Time to get your face. Watch the eyes. Don't worry. I don't like winning my chess games that way. Bon. Kevin started working on Garrett's cheekbones, spreading the thick green paint over them like sunblock. He worked down Gerd's body, moving in large, swirly strokes from his chin to his feet, taking a good ten minutes, the physicist's perfectionism meaning that the paint on Gerd's face dried before Kevin was halfway down. And now, think fast! Amos burst through the door and tossed a packet of beef jerky to her. He followed it along and handed a cup of tea to Carol, as if all were right with the world between them. Gerd tried to shake off the confusion. Granted, it had been a couple of decades since he'd been freshly in love like that. Well, with someone he could actually think of marrying. But Carol was not this mercurial, and Amos, if anything, gave the impression this last week of being permanently melancholic. Gerd, uh, pull your package off to the right, will you? Without giving it a second thought, Gerd seized his genitals and pulled them off to the side so that Kevin could paint his inner thigh. But Kevin's hands didn't move. Gerd looked down to see Kevin staring intensely at his crotch, and nothing in the younger man's posture or manner telegraphed sexual interest. Something wrong, Kevin. Looks like you have a spider bite here. Kevin lightly touched a spot just a little off the place where his leg met his body, on the most inside point of his thigh. It was right where the seam of his jockeys normally rode, but Gerd couldn't feel anything unusual. 
Does it itch? No. I didn't know I had a bite of any kind. Well, I won't poke at it then. He returned to his painterly duties. When Gerd looked back up to Carol, Adele, and Amos, he caught Amos scratching Carol's head as he headed out toward the door, his dour look returning as soon as his back was turned. Something was not right at all. Kevin dipped one of his salvaged brushes into the blue paint and used it to touch up the big star at the galactic rim. His subject played canvas to half of a vast shoulders-to-knees spiral galaxy. Amos had tolerated the black undercoat and now lay out on the coffee table, propped up in the required position with pillows and blankets, submitting to Kevin's artistic whimsy with his typical dry humor. Well, dry didn't really cover it. Saharan? That seemed more likely. Amos shifted uncomfortably under Kevin's brush. Stay still, dude. You're going to smear my nebula. Sorry, just thinking about those paints. That ain't the half of it. You know that blood orange I was going to use? Looked like it died in the blitz. Hmm. Last two days I've been noticing a lot of little things that don't fit. You and me both, buddy. Kevin switched to an iridescent yellow and wished idly he'd brought an airbrush, then thought better of it. The way things were going, he'd probably have found it had morphed into an enema machine for health nut and mice during the night. Keep your eyes peeled. Let me know what you... Hey, Carol! Kevin, I don't know how you do it. She pointed at the bright star he'd just finished touching up. Why the big one here? Artistic license. Kevin added a long, soft swirl to the galactic center. That's more or less where we come from. When I do you, I'll do a matching one on the other side. Me? Kevin looked up in time to catch the affected surprise on her face. He smiled wickedly. Adele has an evil plan. She's going to turn the two of you into an archetype. When you're holding each other, it'll make a whole galaxy, and Gerd will stand behind you as the green man. Carol bent down and kissed him on top of his head. If the two of you keep conspiring, you're not going to be able to decide which car to take home. She moved around to Amos's head, squatted down so she was face to face with him, and kissed him like she meant it. Kevin suppressed a little twinge of envy. Can I get you anything? Thanks, but no, I'm fine. Stop seducing my model. You're making the canvas wiggle. Kevin raised a warning eyebrow at her. Get your ass over and help Adele or something. I'll call you when I'm ready for you. Man talk, eh? Wouldn't want to get in the way of that. Carry on, carry on. She waved her arms with a great sense of toleration and indulgence, as if astonished by these incomprehensible penis-bearing human-shaped creatures trotting about her home, then sauntered away. Kevin looked after her for a moment, but Amos was the first to speak. You might want to keep your eyes on her. Carol? Amos, you're a sharp guy and all, but you're crazy. Sure you're not getting cold feet now that you two are getting close? He returned his attention to his mural. Maybe so. But something's up, and I don't like it. It it feels wrong. There's something going on here. Some rationalist you are trading gut feelings for the plain evidence of your senses. Now there's a sight I ain't never seen. Sarah vaulted over the back of the long couch and landed sitting in front of Amos. She regarded him a bit like a cocker spaniel sizing up a toddler, cocking her head one way and then the other, trying to figure out what the hell she was looking at. What's that you've never seen? Amos sighed, his humor evidently too brittle to deal with Sarah's effervescence. She, Sarah jerked her head toward the solarium door where Carol had gone, has spent almost every night you've been here with you. She never does that. And? And? She leaned in close enough that she must have occupied his entire field of vision. You're a fucking idiot. 
She's been looking her whole life for someone like you. Someone who loves her without wanting to change her. Someone who won't let her get away with shit just because she's the biggest presence in the room. I'll be fine, thanks. Amos nodded and made some kind of face at her Kevin couldn't see. What he could see was the way Sarah rolled her eyes and shook her head, thoroughly unimpressed with Amos's ability to manage his own affairs. Without warning, she hopped to her feet and trotted back out of the room singing, Moron's gonna blow it, to the tune of a schoolyard taunt. Kevin reached for the bowl of white. You know, Amos, she has a point. So does a space needle. Doesn't mean I want to go to live in Seattle. Suit yourself. An hour and a half later, Kevin reclined in a chair near the solarium table watching Adele add her alchemy to his chemistry. Behind the camera, she became almost an entirely different creature, circling perfection slowly, sizing it up, then zeroing in on it with a predatory zeal. Kevin smiled privately as he watched her work, barely even noticing the woman on his lap watching with him. In front of the camera, Amos sat... Legs straight and leaning back, with Carol astride him, also leaning back and arching up as if in the throes of bliss. Their forearms held fast to each other by the wrists, each using the other as a counterweight to hold themselves together in a perfect V. The blackwash they'd each endured made their forms blend with the black backdrop, all except for the paired halves of the Milky Way painted on their bodies from thigh to ribcage. The galaxy glowed and shimmered under the blue and yellow lights, with the solitary black light adding an extra touch of glory to its highlights. Gerd stood behind them as the green man, the Celtic god of life to their physicist's portrait of vitality, a large sun painted on his stomach and shining through the gap between them like the bright center of the galaxy. Kevin didn't care to hide his admiration. The woman knew her way around light and optics. Adele dropped the Hasselblad and stepped in to direct the models. No, Amos, drop your left hand to her breast, but keep your elbow out. Yes, like that. Amos's hand reached across the gulf between them, covering her right breast. The stars on his arm closed the outside lip of the spiral galaxy so that their bodies formed a triangle around Gerd's sun. Now lean back. Hold on to her right hand. There, yeah. Uh, now, Garrett, I want you to stand right behind them there, where their bodies meet. Right a little bit. Good. Now, put one hand on each of their shoulders. Good. And look straight at the camera. As they broke apart and met again in different ways under Adele's direction, it added waves of strange, dreamlike distortion to the tableau. Beautiful. Perfect. Okay, Garrett, now scoot out of the shot. Okay, now, Carol, sit up and hold Amos to your breast. That's it. Adele continued working, and as she did, Kevin almost thought he caught little flashes of movement from their lips, as if the two of them were whispering to one another. Sarah saw it, too. She scooted up a little bit and leaned her head on his shoulder. They look amazing. Glad you like it. Kevin was surprised by how far away his own voice sounded. Oh, the painting's really something, too, but the two of them. Look at them. He scratched her head indulgently, trying to ignore the part of him that just wanted to watch, not think about Amos and the strange things he'd been saying earlier. They're both very pretty. Says you. I've never seen her take to anyone like that. Neither have I. Wonder what it is about him. You jealous? 
Afraid she'll stop nibbling on you between meals. Nah, maybe I would have been a few years ago, but... Kevin watched Adele, short and stocky, moving deftly around her scene, never missing a beat, never missing a step, reaching out to his paintings with her zoom lens. And now I know better. Helps that you have an insurance policy, too. Kevin started back and looked down at her. She had one of those smug, Sarah-like grins, the kind she wore when she'd successfully needled someone. Adele? Maybe. I think it's more like now I understand why Carol never got to that level with me. She'd never shut you out. You know that, right? She loves you too much. Well, even if she did, I'll always have my little kitten. Kevin hugged her, bent his head down, and kissed her. It occurred to him, maybe for the first time, that he was an obscenely lucky man. She sighed contentedly and nodded in Adele's direction. She's good for you, you know. Makes you less of an asshole. Am I normally an asshole? Mm, you don't even notice. Always so clever. Her voice caught in her throat, as if she'd just tripped over a sob she didn't know was there. Kevin nuzzled her head and whispered into her skull. I'm sorry I was hard on Jeremiah. I'll try to be nicer. Oh, fuck him. He's a prick. Not my type. Thanks for the offer, though. She sat up and bopped him on the shoulder. Scoundrel. That's the last time this kitten's kitten sends you an invite. I'll stock up on catnip. You'd better. In front of them, Adele lowered her camera for the last time and released her models. Beautiful. We're done. Spectacular job. She walked forward and handed Carol a cloth to wipe her hands with, and then, to Carol's evident surprise, Adele handed the hostess her camera. Carol gladly took the camera from Adele and, still sitting on the table with Amos, began flipping through them. The sight that greeted her was nothing short of breathtaking. A bright, glowing galaxy popping out of the picture in front of the dark green texture, the white eyes and wild hair of Gerd's green man. His created the only backdrop that revealed an outline of their bodies, and only a partial one. In shot after shot, she could barely make out the outlines of her own body and Amos's making love in the shadows. It was as if Adele had captured the greatest secret in the universe with the few clicks of a shutter. She didn't realize she was crying until her vision blurred, but she couldn't brush the tears away for fear of getting paint in her eyes. Amos didn't even seem to be looking. She nudged him with her elbow. I want to put a print of this up on our wall. Amos shrugged. Whatever you like. His eyes wandered from the camera up her arms, but the gaze that met hers was closed, almost accusatory. They'd look beautiful in the bedroom. I want to remember... I know that. He obviously didn't want anyone else to know they were talking. She gritted her teeth and pretended to concentrate on the photos. What's on your mind, Scribbler? Forget it. Just preoccupied. That's hard to miss. She flipped back on the camera to the first set of photos, with her as Eden. Looking at them, she felt a shiver pass involuntarily through her body. Or was that Amos breathing on her neck? Somebody is playing games with your children, he whispered in her ear. And in your home. I think so too. Don't tell them. Not until we know who it is. They already know. Carol nodded and swung her legs out from around Amos, sliding to the floor. One more cut took care of the main form. Katie used her rough knife to shave the last couple millimeters of wax away from the leftmost figure. 
Adele had inspired her to do a Lost Wax of the Three Graces, and with another hour or two of detail work, this one would be a beauty for bronze. Three cuts into the detail work with the new knife, Carol walked into the living room looking like a refugee from an oil spill. So, how'd it go? Katie didn't do more than glance up when Carol entered the room, but after another few cuts on the wax, Carol hadn't answered. When she looked up, Katie saw Carol staring back toward the solarium door with a furrowed brow and an odd, almost disturbed look in her eyes. Hard to tell. She trailed off, like she wasn't sure how the sentence was originally supposed to end. Well, I'm sure we'll see it as soon as she offloads the back. Carol hesitated, still looking cagely out the glass door at something, or someone, in the solarium. I suppose so. She spoke vacantly, like she wasn't paying attention to her own words. Then she shook her head and started circling around the conversation pit toward the stairs. Whoa-ho-ho, Madrecito, where do you think you're going? Gotta wash all this off. Carol shrugged and kept walking. Oh, no, you don't. Katie jumped to her feet and shanghaied Carol before she reached the stairs, grabbing her by the elbow and dragging her back toward the solarium. You're coming with me. Carol chuckled in spite of her mood. <laughs> oh, am I? Trust me, you're gonna love this. Katie winked at her and Carol's resistance melted. She led Carol back to the solarium, shouting, Bella Adele, we need you. The jackrabbit's expression on Adele's face was nothing to what it was ten minutes later when, after Katie and she had scrubbed the cosmos off Carol, they got Adele stripped to her skin and standing in the tub for painting. Kevin was kind enough to prepare a bucket of white paint while they were cleaning Carol up, but when he dipped his house painting brush into it and advanced on Adele, Katie snatched it from him. Nope. Down, boy. Girls only. Get. She smacked him on the ass and shooed him away, then dipped both her hands in the paint. Dig in, senoritas. Nothing subtle about this one. Katie planted her two hands on Adele's stomach and started swirling around. In under five minutes, she and Carol had washed the missionary's sins away, along with every bit of color. When they'd finished with her, Carol took her turn under the paint while Adele introduced Kevin to the finer workings of the medium-format camera. So, it's a lot like an SLR, just a different shape. The light's set up right... What you see here in the viewfinder is pretty much what'll show up. Focus here. Shutter control here. Got it. Carol finished getting the places Katie couldn't reach, and Katie sprung lightly over the tarp in front of the backdrop. Come on, Nino, let's see what you got. Kevin stepped back and raised the camera to his eye, and Adele joined Katie and Carol on the mat. Carol, being the tallest, stood in the middle with her back to the camera, while Adele and Katie stood on either side of her, all three leaning against one another and throwing their arms around each other's shoulders. The three graces they were, the motif Adele had told Katie she loved best. Kevin stood back a goodly way, taking a few long shots, getting them to shuffle around, changing which ones were facing the camera. When he had them reset in their original configuration, he walked up closer to get some medium shots, crouched down to get a good framing, and stopped. A look came across his face, like a cat trying to work out where a laser pointer dot is coming from. Then he raised the camera back to his eye. Adele, would you drop your left leg back? Okay... Adele's voice wasn't exactly distrustful, but there was something playfully cagey about it. Katie looked down and saw why. Dropping her leg back meant Adele was opening her legs to the camera, which didn't exactly fit the point of the shoot, and wasn't something she'd want to do anyway. 
Kevin fiddled with the zoom and the focus, scooting around a bit and definitely zeroing in on Adele's crotch. The look on his face, as near as Katie could tell, changed from intrigued to horrified. Oh my god. Kevin quickly ducked out of the camera strap and took a long stride from his knee, landing right in front of Adele, who jumped back at the intrusion. What do you think you're doing? He held up a single finger. Hold still. He leaned his face closer. Adele tried to push his head away and duck behind Carol, but he grabbed her wrists and looked up at her. Adele, please, there's something on you. Hold still. He held her gaze. She didn't look to Katie like she was very convinced. Trust me. Reluctantly, Adele nodded. Kevin took hold of Adele's left thigh with his right hand, placed his left hand above her pubis, and pulled the skin taut, forcing Adele's legs open further. Katie had never known him to trot on anyone's boundaries like this before. Kevin, what the hell? What the fuck? Kevin licked his thumb and carefully brought it to Adele's inner thigh. The look on his face told Katie that whatever he was doing, it wasn't copping a feel. His eyes were wide and his mouth twisted like he'd just discovered something vaguely, profoundly horrible. I'm going to clear some paint away. Don't jump. Kevin moved his thumb back and forth, squinted, then moved it again. Adele, can you feel anything there? It's my thigh. What do you think? Are we done? She was pissed. She had tears of shame welling up in her eyes. And as far as Katie was concerned, this had gone far enough. She circled around behind him, ready to clock him when he craned his neck back and shouted into the living room. Amos! Need a medical opinion here, quick! Katie grabbed the back of Kevin's shirt and yanked him up, thankful that he was a spindly little fucker. This isn't funny, Kevin. He barely noticed what she'd done. He looked right into her eyes, and she felt her stomach knot like someone had yanked a noose. He was serious as death. I'm not playing! Look at this. He put his hand on her shoulder and pushed her down. He bent over beside her and pointed to the place he'd been prodding, right at her inner thigh where her leg met her body. Right here. Sorry, Bella. I have to look. There it was, about halfway toward the front, a small patch of clear skin only about twice as wide as Kevin's thumb. He'd somehow managed not to touch Adele's labia when he cleared it away. In the clear spot, there were a pair of raised bumps, like two mosquito bites about a quarter inch apart. He was freaking out over this? She has a spider bite, Kevin. Here's a radical notion. If you want to play doctor, try asking her to bed instead of pulling these great school shenanigans. How long have you known me? Now Kevin was pissed. He wasn't yelling, but he might as well have been. You think I like embarrassing her? Now where the Kevin, hell... Kevin, Explain! Kevin stood up, giving Katie the space she needed to back up and rise herself. Kevin was looking Carol squarely in the eye. She has what looks like a spider bite, which she can't feel. Gerd has the same thing. Well, okay. Damn. I'll have to bomb after everyone goes home. But that's no reason... Carol, spider bites that leave bumps itch. They hurt. And Gerd has the same thing. Exactly the same thing in exactly the same place. Gerd! The large Frenchman, clean, pressed, and dressed, appeared a few seconds later in the doorway. Sarah wandered in behind him as he asked, What do you need? Come stand next to Adele and drop your trousers. Gerd shrugged and obeyed. Kevin and Carol knelt down in front of him, pulled his scrotum aside, and peered. There, see it? Okay, It looks like a bite. Right, now, look here. 
Moving as one, Kevin and Carol shuffled right to Adele. Kevin repeated the skin-stretching trick he'd done earlier. Same leg, same place on the leg, same mark. If Carol hadn't already been painted chalk white, Katie was sure she would have turned that color as the look of alarm crossed her face. Amos! We need you! Adele was trembling. Katie moved to steady her. What? Am I sick? Kevin grabbed her hand and looked up at her, then squeezed. I don't know, but we're going to find out. Amos appeared at the door, dripping, winded, his shirt half-buttoned and sticking to him. Obviously, he'd run from the shower and dressed on the way down. What's wrong? Kevin nodded to the two subjects under the lights. Garrett and Adele both have wounds on their thighs. Amos looked a trifle confused, but shrugged and knelt down to examine each in turn. Now, that shouldn't happen. The calm certainty in his voice bothered Katie a lot more than Kevin's histrionics had. You've never seen anything like it. No, and it's not a spider bite. They've been attacked by a crotch vampire? Katie winced as soon as the words were out of her mouth. Amos gave her a sour look. Very funny. But they look like punctures. Kevin squatted down again, trying to follow Amos's logic. Oh, their puncture marks are all right, but they weren't made by a spider. Look at the raised area here. See the slight discoloration? That's a suction bruise. It's like something was hooked into them. Sarah leaned her back up against the door jam and pursed her lips, apparently glad for the opening to tease them a bit. Have you guys been playing with some new toys while we weren't looking? Sarah! Just asking. Why would they have it, though? Well, that's pretty hard to tell, and we don't even know what it is, isn't it? No, God, Amos. I mean, look! She held her hand up and started ticking off her fingers. They haven't shared any sex partners, they haven't been sleeping with each other, so whoever did this had to get at least one of them while they were asleep. Oh, no. While we were asleep... Gerd's voice finished her sentence, even as Sarah's eyes went catatonic. She staggered sideways and tripped over a potted plant, sprawling headlong to the ground. Katie rushed to help her up, and Amos was hot on her tail. Sarah, I'm going to need to take a look. He said it in his gentlest, probably most doctorly voice. But Sarah wasn't having any. Her face was a mask of blue terror, and she shook her head violently. It was a dream. That's all. A dream. Katie put her hands on Sarah's shoulders to soothe her, but Sarah swatted them away. Get your fucking hands off me! Get away! The dancer retreated, sliding backward and sideways slowly, as if positioning herself for a run to the door. It was just a bad dream. It wasn't real. Sarah, it'll be okay. Just show No! Sarah shot a glance of defiant hatred straight at her. Carol, thank the gods, intervened. She stepped between Katie and Amos, then slid right in front of Sarah, cutting Amos off from view. For a moment, Carol and Sarah were nose to nose, and it was all Katie could do not to jump between them before one or the other started throwing punches. Very slowly, Carol raised her hand and brought it forward to Sarah's cheek. Tentatively, like a girl making friends with a stray cat, Carol's fingers touched Sarah's face. Sarah flinched, but Carol continued touching her, and after a moment, Sarah seemed to accept the contact. You're safe, sweetheart. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Carol leaned in and kissed Sarah's forehead, then gathered the younger woman into her arms. Now Amos is going to look at you. I'll be right here. Sarah whimpered. Carol looked to Katie, who looked to Amos and gave him a nod. Amos dropped to his knees as Katie moved in to hold Sarah from the other side. Amos lifted Sarah's skirt. Sarah, 
I need you to spread your legs a bit. There. Katie? Katie let Sarah go and knelt down next to Amos. Unhook that stocking there, will you? Katie did as she was asked. Enough light bounced off the tan tile floor that they could see what they were doing. Amos deftly pulled the gusset of Sarah's panties aside, nodded with a kind of grim satisfaction, and withdrew. Katie followed suit, making sure not to let Sarah see her face. Amos hugged Carol and Sarah together, kissed Sarah on the cheek, and reassured her. You'll be okay. It'll all be okay. Amos seemed to grow, as if some divine power had just invested him with authority over everyone in the room. When he released Carol and Sarah, he turned to the rest of the group. I need everyone to get someone else to check them. He looked back at Sarah. I don't know if this has anything to do with your dream, but we'll find out. Can you hold together and trust Carol and me? Sarah clamped her eyes shut, as if checking her batteries to make sure she had enough reserve to power through, then nodded once, sharply. Good. Now, I need you to go get Jeremiah. Don't tell him what's going on. Bring him down here so I can have a look at him. Sarah nodded again, determined this time. Okay, I can do that. She let Carol go, wiped her tears away, screwed up her courage, and marched to the door. Amos turned brusquely to Carol. Guess I better have a look at you next. Without waiting for an answer, he knelt in front of her. Amos, did I do something to upset you? Amos shook his head. I'm worried about Sarah. Maybe all of us now. Carol didn't look like she bought it, but they seemed to want their privacy. So Katie wandered toward Adele. The missionary was kneeling before Kevin, examining his crotch, and giggling. Not exactly the way to get him to ask her home, but it beat the sense of doom settling steadily over the room. Now it was Kevin's turn to blush. (laughs) Don't laugh too hard or I'll start to wonder if I'm enough for you. Kevin looked down at himself, as if trying to make sure his penis hadn't actually shrunk while he wasn't looking. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's just that... Uh... When I imagined my first time, um, handling you, it was, well, pretty different. Kevin grinned. You'll have to tell me sometime. Adele looked straight up into his eyes. Rather show you, maybe. She returned his attention to his thigh. Yeah, you've got one here. Same place. Check me? Adele obliged, and a few seconds later nodded curtly. That's everyone? Well, we've all got one. Everyone except Jeremiah. Sarah's scream rang through the house like a fire alarm. You've been listening to episode 20 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. With original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. 
The Fey world is lost. We have spun beyond the reach of the human world, but some chose to stay. Lost magical souls adrift in a world of the future. And yet now, as the darkness approaches, you must rely on the orphans we left behind to save your world. Step back into the world of magic and find out what happens when the future and the Fae collide. Digital Magic, sequel to the award-winning Chasing the Bard, begins on November 11th, 2009. Subscribe at digitalmagicnovel.com and prepare for magic. I'm Jack Hosley from Wander Radio over at wanderradio.com, and you're listening to Down From Ten by the incomparable J. Dan Sawyer. Bodies, bodies, who's got the body? And what are those strange wounds that everyone has? And why do they all have the same ones? We're in the final countdown to episode 25, The Story ends soon but will it end well believe it or not i have publications coming out those of you who would like to own revised enhanced and otherwise gussied up print versions of the man in the rain cold duty and angels unawares should check out the pod complex a podthology from dragon moon press coming out in a couple of weeks It's not available for pre-order yet, but it soon will be, and it features fiction from me, Scott Sigler, E.G. Talbot, and about half a dozen other podcast authors. The lineup is impressive, and the stories that I know in there are all very good. The cover art is really pretty. It will sit handsomely on your bookshelf. I'll keep you posted when it hits the shelves. Also coming this month from Circlet Press is the science fiction erotica anthology Apocalypse Sex, featuring a revised and improved version of my story Buried Alive in the Blues. This is an ebook format anthology only at this point, but if you have an e-reader or a smartphone and need something to keep you warm in the evenings, this may well be the anthology for you. I'll keep you posted with details as they develop. I had fun seeing some of you at the Nova Albion Steampunk Expo. Thanks for coming out. The event was a great success, despite some hiccups with the parking situation and the fact that we completely slammed the venue. Fortunately, next year we'll be moving to a much bigger hotel. We have to. We're getting big. Since I didn't give you an after show in episode 19 earlier this week, I owe you two spotlight slots for cast members this week, and after pulling some slips of paper out of my trusty hat, I'm coming up with Chris Lester and Christiana Ellis, which has the advantage of cognate first names. Chris Lester you're probably already very familiar with if you listen to my stuff. He often guests on Dealing In as a member of the Peanut Gallery. He played Jeremiah in Down From Ten, Greg Singh, and a few others in Predestination, and did this week's story so far. When he's not schlepping about for me, or slaving away under the auspices of the Spanish Inquisition, I, I mean California public school system, he produces the Metamore City podcast, a mix of novels and short stories set in a cyberpunk fantasy world where science and magic have grown up together as complementary and interdependent ways of understanding and manipulating the universe. 
Describing Metamore City isn't exactly the easiest task in the world, as it's much more a setting for a series than it is a story itself. But if you're looking for a varied format, full cast series of stories that run the gamut from noir to horror to romance to coming-of-age adventure, I suspect you're going to greatly enjoy what you find there. You can find it all at metamorecity.com. Christiana Ellis, who brings Adele to life for us here, is a comic genius in her own right. Her debut audio series, Space Casey, was a snarky geekgasm on its own, combining as it did the sensibilities of the old Captain Future and John Carter novels with the off-the-wall insanity of Red Dwarf and executed with punchy comic timing. After doing her best to unmask the evil galactic overlords and their time-traveling ways, Christiana moved on to fight the ghost of Robert Asprin for his spot in the comic fantasy pantheon with Nina Kimberly the Merciless, the podcast that became her first print release. Nina Kimberly is the barbarian princess who is loved by the most powerful prince in the realm. It's a romance that can only end one way. With his head on a pike. Turns out the prince is an annoying brat, and Nina can't stand being cooped up in a castle. She is a barbarian, after all, and needs a proper quest or two to keep her blood up. Nina's story is fun, amusing, and, in an odd way, charming. Suitable for all ages and funnier the older you are, it shows Christiana stretching her creative wings. I can't wait to see what happens when she changes gears for her next project, which... Well, I can't tell you about that yet, but evidently it's not too far off. Keep up with Christiana at her website, www.christianaellis.com, and find her book on Amazon.com. It's great summer reading, and even better as a birthday present to any reader who's young at heart. And with that, we come once again to the end of our sojourn beneath the snow. Send feedback to feedback at jdsawyer.net. Leave voicemail at 206-337-5498. That's a new voicemail number. And leave comments on the blog at jdsawyer.net. And, of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends, post a review on iTunes, and blog about us. Questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats are all welcome. Gail Carriger, she of Soulless and Changeless and the Parasol Protectorate, will be joining us for the next feedback show. Be sure to send your feedback in soon so we can get it on. So until next time, what will happen now that Sarah has evidently found Jeremiah? Who or what killed him and why? What are the strange wounds on our hero's inner thighs, and will the relationships between them crack under the strain? Find out next time. And remember always, you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten.